Well, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Andy and I normally go to the 9.30, so it was nice to have a bit of a lion. <laughs> and it's lovely to see some familiar faces. Thank you. So today we start our summer series, Not So Superheroes. And I wonder if you have any secret heroes or perhaps not so secret heroes. Sports people, perhaps. Footballers, maybe. Great people of history, musicians, singers. We have a bit of a thing in our family for Paul Simon. And of course, Julie Andrews, practically perfect in every way. Perhaps when you think of a superhero, you might think of, of someone truly great like Nelson Mandela. Or maybe a rising star like Greta Thunberg. Of course, we know that they're not perfect. And yet still sometimes it's salutary, isn't it, to read in the news just how much feet are made of clay. We went to see the Elvis Presley film a couple of weeks ago. Fabulous music, but we came away so sad. You know, the real-life story of one of the great musical icons of the 20th century. Um, what a flawed character. And the Bible, of course, is a book about real life, so it's hardly surprising that it too is full of real-life not-so-superheroes. So as we look at them during this series, we're going to be thinking about what these real-life stories have to say to us and what we can learn from them. And today, as we had in the reading, we're going to be looking at Moses. I wonder what is your first thought when you think about Moses? I have to confess, mine is a picture book I had when I was a little girl, a ladybird book. I don't know if any of you had that ladybird book, but there was a beautiful picture of Miriam laying the basket in, in the bulrushes. Or maybe you watch one of those great films where Moses holds back the sea, sing, sing, seemingly single-handedly. Or perhaps it's a picture of him bringing those tablets of stone down the mountainside. Or maybe today's story, The Burning Bush. Moses lived a long and eventful life, 120 years, the Bible tells us. So are there lots of stories to remember? So I thought we'd maybe just have a quick whistle-stop tour through Moses' life story to get a feel for him. Because maybe like me, you have ideas of the different stories, but it's quite helpful to see the flow of it and see the context of today's reading. So Moses starts life at a very difficult time for the Israelites. They are living as slaves in Egypt and they're being controlled by a foreign power. He is born 1593 BC when Pharaoh is growing worried that these Israelite slaves are having lots of very healthy babies. And Pharaoh becomes very worried that they might rise up against him. So he orders for all the male boys under the year of age of two to be killed. And this is why Moses' sister Miriam takes him and places him in the basket. And in desperation, places the basket in the river in the hope that somebody would save him. And of course, fantastically, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and adopts him and brings him up as his own. And that's how he becomes a prince of Egypt with royal responsibilities and royal privileges. And it's in this role that one day when he's out and about, he sees an Egyptian slave driver whipping a fellow Israelite. And in reaction, sudden reaction, absolute fury, 
uncontrollable anger, he responds and he kills the Egyptians. But of course, he knows that he has to flee. His life is in danger. And he escapes to the land of the Midianites, a dry and barren land. He meets a group of shepherd women and helps them, protects them, and they take him back to their tribe where he settles and he marries the chief's daughter. So in midlife, he is no longer a prince, he is no longer wealthy, he is no longer powerful. He is tending sheep for his father-in-law. Many might say he was a failure. And this is the point in his life story that our reading comes. He's out in the desert, dry, arid, low point in life, and God speaks to him and has a calling for him. I mean, it's no wonder that Moses says, what, who, me? No way. But God does call Moses, even though he's lost everything, even though he's done a terrible thing in murdering this Egyptian, God comes to him and rescues him. I'll leave you to read the rest of the story in Exodus, um, Deuteronomy Numbers. It's a real page turner. Moses goes on to do two things. He follows God obediently and he doesn't follow God obediently. There are times when he doesn't believe that God can do what God has told him he will do. And there are times when he takes the credit for himself, for things that God has done. And there are times that he thinks he knows better than God and he does it his own way. In Numbers 20, there's a little incident that says a lot about Moses. The Israelites are out in the desert, there's no water, and they're in desperation. They're complaining about Moses, saying, why didn't you leave us to die with the Egyptians? We have no water, we're wretched. And God speaks to Moses and tells him to take his staff and his brother and to command the rock before them to yield water. And God says, I shall bring forth water for you. So Moses takes his staff and he goes and stands in front of the rock. And does he command the rock like God told him to? No, he doesn't. He strikes it dramatically with the staff and he commands the water to come forth. The water does come forth and the people are saved, but God sees what was in his heart. And God says, because you didn't show my holiness, you will never actually set foot yourself in the promised land. So why didn't Moses do what God had told him to? You'd think he made it very clear. Why did he strike the rock instead of just commanding it in God's name? Well, we won't ever know why. But we do know that there were consequences. Despite all those faithful years of service, God told him there would be a consequence of his failure. Now Moses is a person of many failures, as well as a person of great faith and obedience. Maybe like me, when you hear it like that, it sounds a bit familiar. Because aren't we just like that? We are people of many failures, but also 
people of faith and obedience. We can, we can be people of faith and doubt, obedience and disobedience. We can do good things and we can do terrible things. It's clear that Moses messed up and there were earthly consequences. He was angry and he was proud and he was vain. He lost his wealth and his status. He ended up as a poor shepherd, not even tending his own sheep, but his father-in-law's. And after years of faithfulness, this act of vanity with this water at Meribah, he is told he will not enter the promised land. And it is true, isn't it, too, that our actions have consequences, earthly consequences. If we act in uncontrolled anger or pride or vanity, chaos follows. Relationships disintegrate and conflict ensues. Anger is, of course, a very natural human emotion. There's nothing wrong with it. Good, healthy anger but what we see in Moses is that he let his anger dictate uncontrollable violence. And anger is really an emotion we need to recognize in ourselves and we need to listen to it. What is this anger telling us about? Something is wrong and needs to be addressed. But the proper response in us is to think and to pray and to act in a considered fashion. There was nothing wrong with Moses being angry at injustice. We should all be angry at injustice. If we're not, there's something very wrong with us. But the godly response is not to lash out uncontrollably, either physically or verbally. Goodness knows, social media teaches that lesson, the damage that lashing out verbally can do. Instead, we can ask ourselves, with God's help, why am I angry? What can I do to make a godly and constructive response? Can I give generously? Can I offer help? Can I pray? Can I have a conversation? How can we respond in this way to some of the injustice we see around us? Food poverty, climate injustice. Angry words or actions are not the way. The self-control self is the antidote to anger a fruit of the Spirit that we can pray for God to give us. As well as anger, Moses was vain. It's not a word we often use these days, is it? But really, it's quite simple. It has to do with comparing ourselves to others and putting ourselves above them. If we think of ourselves as better than others, and the truth is we do this inside our heads, don't we? We never admit to it, you know, that would be too shameful. But inside our heads, it does go on. If we think we know better than others, that we are better than others, others are actually belittled. We reduce them to less than God has made them to be. We can make someone very unhappy, and we can inflict terrible damage on people through vanity. And even if we think we don't act this way, maybe we still do it. If we ignore unhappiness or pain in other people, what does that say about how we value them? If we gossip or criticise or leave people out, we're making ourselves more important than them. I'd like to suggest that kindness and respect are the antidotes to vanity. Vanity. 
And what of pride? Moses was definitely proud. He knew better than God what to do. How do we see ourselves? How do we see the work that God is doing in our lives and through us? Do we perhaps take credit for that ourselves? I'm so great at this, or I'm so much prettier or more good-looking. I'm much cleverer than that person. I'm richer than them. I've achieved so much. My family is so perfect. It can be insidious, but I suspect we all have a little dose of that in our lives. But it is not God's way. The antidote to pride? Humility. Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given to each of you. So we can look at Moses and see that anger and pride and vanity is not the way to live as children of God. It's not the way for us as individuals and it's not the way for us as God's family. But for all his weaknesses and failures, God did not abandon Moses. Yes, there were earthly consequences for what Moses did. But God's economy is different, isn't it? His judgment is different. With his judgment comes forgiveness and welcome and restoration and healing. And God lifted Moses and called him on. God did not define Moses by his failures. Again and again and again, God offered Moses another chance. Did God turn away from Moses? No. He offered him the chance to deeply regret what he had done and to return to following God. He was still a great leader and God used him massively in the history of God's people, the story that leads to Jesus and to us here today. And God offers each of us that way out too. We don't have to be trapped by our own anger or pride or vanity. God's relationship with Moses foreshadows what God later offers to all of us as we're all invited to put our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Forgiveness and a new start are for each of us again and again and again. Tim Keller puts it like this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So perhaps just in a few moments of quiet now, we can think honestly just to ourselves, and ask God to show us ways in maybe we ourselves have let anger take a hold on our lives. Or whether maybe there are things that we are proud about that really are down to God's grace. Or whether maybe we are vain and in that have hurt other people or distanced ourselves from God. Let me just take a few moments.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example of Moses. Thank you in a strange way for his imperfections in that they show us that there is hope for us, that you can work in us, that you can use us. And Lord, we confess to you anger, pride, or vanity that sit in our life and that we have not dealt with. Lord, we offer them to you in surrender and ask that you will set us free from them to serve you with love and humility and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.